Hello and welcome to another edition of According to the Scriptures. The Bible tells us purely and plainly that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to those that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, Romans 1.16. Paul, who wrote that to the church at Rome, also told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse number 1, he says, I've preached that gospel unto you, and if you receive it, that's what you're going to stand upon. In verse number 2 of that same chapter, he says, this gospel saves you as long as you keep it in memory, but if you don't, Everything that you've believed will be in vain. In verse number three, he says, he's delivered unto them everything that he received. And what did he receive? How that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's why everything that we cover in this broadcast will be according to the scriptures. My name is Mike Crosby, and I am the minister of the South Garland Church of Christ located in Garland, Texas, and I'm always honored and thrilled to have working alongside me Brother David McElwain, the incredibly capable minister of the Downtown Church of Christ located in Cedar Hill. David, wonderful to have you, sir. Mike, it's always a pleasure to be on the program with you. always enjoy the opportunity to, again, sit down and to study the scriptures to find out what it is that God would want us to do Amen. and what he expects of us if we desire to be found pleasing in his sight. And again, it must be according to the scriptures. Absolutely. And so why don't we just go to a set of scriptures right now. I'm going to be reading uh, from Hebrews chapter 2, and I'm going to read just a few verses from verses 9 through 12. So if you have your Bibles and feel so inclined, pull out your New Testaments and join me. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. I'll be reading from the King James Version, and it says as follows. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And here's where our text is going to come from. Our, here's the crux of our message today. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now keep in mind, the Bible is telling us, Jesus came here, was made a little lower than the angels, just so he could taste death for every man. And Jesus says himself, verse number 12, he will declare the Father's name unto the brethren, and in the midst of the church, he will sing praise unto Father God. So this morning, I'd like to talk about congregational worship. I'm sorry, congregational singing in worship. Congregational singing in worship. Now, the question might come up, David, why is this an issue? Well, allow me, I jotted down a few things. Uh, traditionally, the church's position regarding worship has been, one, that singing is to be, to be performed a cappella, i.e. without musical or mechanical instrument accompaniment. That singing is to be performed by all baptized believers, not just a select, i.e. talented few. And number three, that singing must be performed with the spirit and the understanding also 
without the need of demonstrative bodily gyrations such as dancing, jumping, quaking, shaking, whatever it is they're going to be doing in the aisles. See, God has always provided instruction and a pattern for how he is to be glorified and singing in the New Testament for the worshiper is no exception since all such patterns previous to Calvary have been nailed to the cross, Colossians chapter 2.14. So I'm thinking now that if a person doesn't study the word, this has become an issue because folks are either ignorant or intolerant of New Testament teaching and the New Testament pattern that was laid down by Jesus Christ himself, thus making their worship to God and exercise in both spiritual and emotional vanity. So, David, I'm going to throw it off to you. That's that's my position, and uh, I, I will stick to that. Uh, but I want to hear what you have to say on the subject of congregational singing and worship. There are several things for us to seriously consider in light of that. But one is to back up just a little bit. And for a person to recognize that simply worship offered to God does not mean that God has accepted the worship. I mean, that's clearly brought out in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and his sacrifice, Mm -hmm. Leviticus chapter 10, 1 and 2 with Nadab and Abihu. Mm -hmm. It's brought throughout the scriptures that worship, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, that worship offered to God, and that's what you hear a lot of time, we're offering this to God, they're offering our praise to God, does not mean that God has accepted the worship. Amen. It must be in accordance with His will. And God has specified. There are those who want to get into the discussion about, well, if I tell you to sing, it doesn't mean that you could not also play the instrument as you sing, that that's immaterial to God. He really doesn't care one way or the other what you do. Mm. But we need to go back and to see indeed what God has said. We talked about one of your points was that singing is to be performed a cappella, that is, without the mechanical instrument's accompaniment along with it. Mm-hmm. And I always have found it interesting that as I discuss with various individuals about the singing in the worship, that it is to be done a cappella, mm-hmm. that they do not believe that that is necessarily implied in the word. And I find it interesting that in the ungodly musical world today, that if you talk about to them, or you mention the, the concept of singing a cappella, that they automatically understand and know what that means. Amen. I mean, they know, without any reference to God, without any understanding of what He's commanded in the Scriptures, they know that a cappella singing means without any mechanical instrument music accompanying that that singing. Mm -hmm. And the word, if you look at a good dictionary and go back and see what it has to say, Mm -hmm. the word a cappella means in the manner of the chapel, or literally according to the chapel, or the church, uh, the chapel is another word for that, that it means according to the manner of the church. Amen. Well, how is it that the ungodly musical world and I use that because I think that's important. They know what that word acapella means. After the manner of the church. Mm-hmm. That many within the Lord's church and most within the religious world do not understand what that word means. Amen. And they will fight and divide and fuss about it and say it doesn't mean what it does. And that it simply means 
after the manner mm-hmm. of the church. That the early church in history shows that did not use mechanical instruments of music in their worship service. Amen. And that the whole congregation sang, not just a select few. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a, a point to remember, but it's difficult because we're so geared that in our country, our country is founded on the principle of individuals coming here for the ability or for the freedom to worship God as they saw fit. Mm-hmm. And so our country is founded on that principle of do it your way. Well, and, and, and for them, because we've done it so long, we've accepted it so long, for someone now to come along and say, let's go back. Let's read what the Bible has to say. Mm-hmm. And to, to move as we've looked at in Colossians 2, 4, at Calvary, that Old Testament was nailed to the cross. Amen. They go back to David used mechanical instruments of music. Mm-hmm. David also offered animal sacrifices. He also had eight wives. He also, yeah, and um, one is more than enough. <laughs> uh, but Amen. he, they will say, well, the Psalms, with the singing Psalms, and the Psalms mentioned the instrument. Well, the Psalms also mention animal sacrifices, mm-hmm. the burning of incense, and we do, do not do that. Mm-hmm. But it simply says to sing. To sing and to make melody in the hearts to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And we can do that. And again, the word acapella is clearly a good indication that the world understands that without a reference to God of how we should be singing after the manner of the church. And why do we want to introduce or to bring in that instrument? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, let let me interject here. Uh, I've, I've had this discussion with, with those who actually uh, actually do bring in mechanical instruments of music, and they said that they get that because that's what's taught in the New Testament. When they, when they s- see verses like, uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart, uh, the word that they use for hymn, they said that's, that's huneo, and huneo means, uh, well, no, that... Uh, not the word uh, huneo, the word solo is for psalms, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The word solo means to, to, to pluck with an instrument. Well, that was true in the Old Testament, but you get any credible uh, Greek lexicon, whether it's done by Thayer or whether it's done by Danker, and these are giants. These are men who dedicated their lives to investigate the true meaning of the words in their time, and each and every one of them says that in the Old Testament, the word solo literally came from the word plucking, as you pluck the hair from a goat or pluck the hair of the sheep or even pluck a hair from your head and because the motion of plucking a hair uh, was similar to how one plucked the string of a harp that was also called solo but in the New Testament it means to sing the psalm without mechanical accompaniment of music and so I think that that's that's one word the other word for singing is ado which means to just simply sing with your voice and the other word again I mentioned huneo which means to sing a a sing a hymn or a a a song of praise and thanksgiving uh, unto the Lord but in every case we are told to as Paul told the church at Corinth he says I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also and he also says I will sing 
with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Never once did he say, I will play with the spirit and I will play with the understanding also. So when we're talking about singing, uh, you know, a lot of folks will like to say, well, I, I want to give my best singing. I, we want God to have our best voice. Well, we need to understand God's the one who gave us the voice in the first place. And David, I know you're a father and I'm a father and, and we have multiple children. And when our children come up to us and they may hug us and, um, and they say, uh, Daddy, we love you. Now, of course, you and I, we live in an age where, okay, how much money you want? But, you know, if they were really sincere and they say we love you, have we ever told them to stop and do it again because they were off key? No, we haven't done that. No, no. <laughs> so God is not really concerned about the melody or the harmony of the voices as much as the melody that's being made in the heart. In the heart. And that's where the instrument is specified. Absolutely. Uh, the, 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 the melody is to be made in the heart to mm -hmm. the Lord. Uh, it, it's again looking at the scriptures and, and believing that God has specified down through time of what he wants uh, in every aspect of our life for, Amen. Uh, for that matter but specifically in the area of, of our worship to him of what he commands from us. Amen. Uh, we, I made mention to Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, 1 and, 1 and 2, that offering a strange fire, and it says, which the Lord had not, not commanded. commanded. And so we're to offer what is commanded by God. And outside, and then down through the years outside, I think one group of individuals, and I do not remember them offhand, I have never had anyone tell me that if I simply sing and make melody in my hearts to the Lord, that He would not be that God would not accept that. That's right. Uh, there's been one group that says He would not. That you have to use the instrument. But outside that, I mean, anyone else will tell you you're free to simply sing and make the melody in your hearts to the Lord, mm. and He would be pleased with that. Amen. Why? Because that's what He says. I've uh, been in a lot of discussions where individuals says, "Well, when we go to." perform in different congregations mm -hmm. we always have to ask which which instruments do you prefer or would do you allow us to use some places won't allow the drums and some would not allow the electric guitars or whatever else it is and I said would it not be this much easier if you did what the Bible said absolutely and amen and he says make a joyful noise to the Lord and I'm grateful for that Amen. because I do not sing on key <laughs> uh, I, I make a joyful noise unto the Lord but it's we want to say it is more appealing to me that's right and there's where the emphasis is on how I feel mm -hmm. and what I would like to offer as opposed to wanting to know what does God want Absolutely. And all the way through the New Testament, every time we have a reference to what they did, it was singing. They simply sang a hymn after the Garden of Gethsemane and, mm -hmm. and went out. They sang a hymn. Yes, sir. Uh, didn't say, you know, anything else along that line. And it's much easier when we can follow and look for that, thus saith the Lord. Absolutely. And simply follow what it says there. Every time in history, after the first century on down, every time in history where the instrument has been introduced into the worship service, mm -hmm. it has always caught.
cause division. Yes, sir. There have always been those who said it's not right. Those who clearly accepted the day without uh, any problem do not realize their own history that mm-hmm. it caused division. It is adding something that God has not asked us to, to Absolutely. do. You know, when I, when I continue this and I, I look at passages like... Um, John chapter 15 verses 7 and 8 this is this is Jesus speaking he says if ye abide in me and my words abide in you ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you herein is my father glorified that ye shall bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples notice what Jesus is saying he's saying that if we abide in him and his words abide in us it's it's not a matter of how we think worship should sound. It's all about, number one, having the words of Jesus inside of us, having ourselves wrapped up in Christ. Now, how do we get into Christ? Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians 3.27, he says, For as many of you that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So how do I get into Christ? Well, I'm baptized in him. Well, the Bible also teaches me that uh, Galatians 2, and I believe the verse is 20, says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice it is all about Jesus being in me and me sacrificing my wants, my desires, what sounds good to me to do exactly what he wants and what he is. Now, what did he say he would do in Hebrews 2? He will sing in the midst of the church. That's what he said he would do. Now, if Christ is singing in the midst of the church, and if I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, then what does that mean I should do in the midst of the church? means you ought to be singing as well. I should be singing. Now, every baptized believer... And again, baptism puts you into Christ. Every baptized believer who is in Christ ought to be singing in the midst of the church. That means I should not be trying to lift up or showcase or pedestalize, if that's so a word, uh, anyone who has a more talented voice than I've got. Because as you said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I looked up that word Joyful noise. It's one word in, in, in the Aramaic, and the word is ruha. And in Texas, we would probably call that yeehaw. So, you know, how many times have you ever gone to a sporting event, and when something was done that was, you know, grandiose, that the audience went one, two, three, hooray. No, everyone cheered personally because that's the inward expression coming outward. And so that's what our worship should be. Our worship should be personal. Now, I am not going to put any man or woman on a pedestal simply because the Lord gave them a better way of harmonizing than myself. Because when we all stand at the foot of the cross, we're all on the same level field. All have sinned and done what? Come short of the glory of God. And so we should be encouraging one another as one to lift up our voices and sing, whether God has given you the ability to sing or not. And if you want to play an instrument, I'm not going to discourage you from playing an instrument in your home. But the church, which is God's home, in the midst of the church, Jesus says he will sing and sing praises unto his Father. I'm sorry, brother, you look like you had another point that you wanted to make there. Oh, it's, it's 
we have that tendency of wanting to think that it's important for us to showcase the very best that we have and to believe that we have that talent we ought to be able to showcase that mm -hmm. uh, as we come together and I was thinking uh, the, the Hebrew writer over in chapter 10 and uh, verses 24 and 25 let us consider one another yes, in order sir. to stir up to love and to good works. Yes, sir. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but doing what? But exhorting one another. Yes, sir. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We're to consider or to provoke one another to mm -hmm. love and good works. And that's one of the few cases where provoke is used in a good sense. Yes, sir. Uh, usually we use it to rise the anger in somebody mm -hmm. uh, but as a Christian we're told to stir up or to provoke each other to love and to good works mm -hmm. and exhorting each other it's not putting on the best we've come to worship to praise to give honor to the one who is worthy to receive it that's Amen. to God that's what he's asking he's always asked for the heart yes sir and that's all that he's, he's wanted from us is for us to give the heart to him. Mm -hmm. And we always want to look at the outward appearance as to what we think is the best. Yes, sir. And we forget that when we come together is to stir each other up. That's what our singing is to do, to teach and to admonish one another mm -hmm. in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing. We're to stir each other up to live before God. Absolutely. And the emphasis... For the Christian is to be what? Christ-like? Absolutely. To be an imitator? Uh, you know, be an imitator of God? You know, Ephesians 5 and, and, and verse 1 as a beloved child? Yes, sir. You know, why can we not do that? You know, and we do not see, again, Jesus doing anything contrary to what the Father taught. Amen. Or adding to or subtracting from what the what the father had taught, mm -hmm. and he was always willing to submit to that will of the father. Yes, sir. And that's what we do today. It's it may mean, you know, we're not we are not going to compete with the godly ungodly world out there. Nope. nope. And, and we don't need to. Amen. And ours is to live a distinct, different lifestyle. Mm-hmm that is different from the world and that again one of the beauties of simply letting God's word be our guide is that it brings it down to the simplicity of thus saith the Lord mm -hmm. and then one does not have to worry about what I can add or what will be permitted someplace thus saith the Lord Amen. and go back and simply do it God's way absolutely and uh, when I do that then I don't have a fear. If I'm following God's word, I do not have a fear as to somebody coming up and saying, but over here mm -hmm. it says this. Uh, if I'm following his will to the best of my ability and with the help of God, I'm going to do the things that are, I'm going to strive to do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Absolutely. And I have no problem if we simply accept the fact that he says, sing and make melody in the heart to sing and make melody in the heart. Amen. For the whole congregation to sing. 
and to teach and to admonish one another. Absolutely. Uh, their singing would have been different in the first century than it is for ours. Mm -hmm. But everybody participated. Amen. Everybody joined in in what was being done. A cappella as the church as, sang. As the church. Now, I know you covered this earlier, and, and we're going to have to end, but uh, there are a number of people who love to go to Psalm 149, and uh, they bring up verse number three where, you know, God had, takes pleasure in his people and he delights in the tambourine. And, and, but let me, let me show you what a first century um, scholar had said about that. In regarding to Psalms 149 and 3, when you look at it, the tambourine or the timbrel is nothing more than animal skin stretched out over wood. If you take a harp, it is nothing more than catgut stretched out across wood. In both cases, Flesh is stretched over wood. But I want you now to take that in light of the New Testament, Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. If I look at the cross of Jesus, what do I see? I see flesh stretched out across wood. So that tambourine, that harp, was nothing more, if you take it in its, in, its, in its finest spiritual sense, is nothing more than a foreshadowing of the praise that should come and glory that should come to the Father because Jesus Christ was that flesh that was stretched out across wood. And so when we're talking about playing instruments in the body, keep in mind that Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If the words of Jesus are spirit and life, why would I bring a lifeless instrument into the presence of his body? And so we are those lifeless instruments. The tambourine and, and the harp, they were lifeless instruments until played by a living person. When we walk into the house, we are that lifeless instrument waiting for Jesus to pick us up and use our hearts to make beautiful music for this world to be drawn unto him and to be saved. Uh, David, uh, I again, time has expired on us, and I just want to say, brother, it is always an honor and a pleasure to have you with us on the show. Well, thank you, Mike. I, I always enjoy being on the program. I always enjoy that opportunity of just being able to sit down and discuss scriptures. And I know the topic we discussed this morning is difficult for many. Amen. But again, simply go back, read what the Bible has to say, and do God's will, God's way. Amen. In order to be saved, we must hear the word of God, believe it with all of our heart, repent of our way of wanting to do things, give up our sins, give up ourselves, and embrace the way that he has lined out for us to do it. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and then be baptized for the forgiveness or remission of our sins and live faithful until we die. That is what Christ taught and that's what we find our purpose and our plan for being saved is outlined according to the scriptures. My name is Mike Crosby. I look forward to seeing you again. May God bless you and keep you. We'd like to thank you for watching our broadcast today. If you would like copies of our materials, feel free to contact us at the number and email address at the bottom of your screen, and they can be sent to you at no charge. May God continue to bless us all as we walk our life according to the scriptures.